Welcome, everybody. This is Bliss Fully Aware, the show in which opinionated people get together and explain to you what's going on in the nerd and fandom world. I am Bliss, and I am joined today by my good friend, Avery. Avery, say hi to the people. Hi, people. (laughs) Avery. What to do? You and I have known each other for a very long time. We have a lot of things in common. We're both writers. We're both giant nerds. God, what else do we have in common? Uh, let's see. We're both weebs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we both have a higher chance of getting killed by the police for just looking different. <laughs> Yay! Institutionalized racism. We're both into women. <laughs> yeah! That's the best thing we have in common. <laughs> I wish today's episode was more about that. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to backtrack a little bit. To the fact that we're both the weebs. This is very true. Okay, so today, Avery, I gotta ask you a serious question right at the get-go. Alright, what's that? Have you ever heard about a show called Hitalia? I I have heard the the name Hitalia. Um, I think it's, uh, what, an anime about anthropomorphized countries? Yeah, pretty much. So... It is an anime. It was first a webcomic, then it was a manga, now it's an anime, and it has a film and a video game. And it centers around these personifications of countries and how they have interacted over time. It is set in World War II, and the main protagonists are the Axis powers. Oh, well, this can only end well. <laughs> <laughs> now, that isn't the only thing the show covers, but the fact is it starts with the Axis powers versus the Allied powers, and it is actively set as a story of the blunders on both sides during World War II. And there are some depictions of political leaders like Hitler, huh. which is great. <laughs> Oh yeah, you know, you always want to see Hitler. More Hitler, but just always. Just always. You know, as a Jew, I almost want to disagree. Um, as a black man, no, I, I don't want to see Hitler. <laughs> he he hates me just as much as he hates you. <laughs> he does. And I mean, I just, I guess the main basis of what I want to talk about today is going to end up being about the difference between parody and uh praise parody and praise that's what i'm trying to say if i can get my damn words together you know sometimes those words are tricky i mean you have to wrangle them you have have to show them (laughs) who's boss in the words of donald trump you have to grab him by the sorry i'm just not gonna say that word uh speaking of hitler (laughs) (laughs) so the reason i'm bringing up italia as this is a fandom news podcast, it was quote-unquote leaked that they will be getting a new season in 2021. How many seasons do they have? Well, so far they've had six seasons. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. This shit lasted six seasons? Yes. How? Yes, World did. War Two didn't even last that damn long. Well, so technically the show's era in World War Two only lasts through seasons one and two. 
And then you've get... So the first two seasons were called Axis Powers. Mm. Hitalia, Axis Powers. Then you go on to World Series, Beautiful World, World Twinkle, and then the movie is Paint It White. Did, did it somehow become a shoujo manga in the middle of this shit? <laughs> <laughs> Let me preface, the episodes are only five minutes long, because oh. they're based off very small uh, parody comics that got stretched into semi-stories in the manga, and then sort of something more cohesive storyline-wise for the anime and film. Okay. It doesn't follow a, um, a static timeline. It does a lot of jumping around, which is fine. Sorry, every time I think about this stupid show, I just think about how, of all the places in history to start, you decided to start in World War II with Germany being the protagonist. And Oh, that is just poor, poor taste. And the show Hitalia, it means stupid Italy, um, give or take how you're translating it. And it is supposed to be a parody about everybody's blunders and Italy, northern Italy. Italy is broken up into two different countries. The choices of how many countries there are and which ones get to be people is kind of (laughs) murky. But so northern Italy becomes friends with Germany right at the beginning around World War I. It jumps immediately into World War II with the first episode. And it's uncomfortable because while they don't explicitly say that they're Nazis, Germany is depicted in an SS uniform. They are running around having fights with the Allies. And it's very obvious that it's set in World War II. They don't mince words about it. It's just the things that they choose not to say is interesting, considering that they're calling it a parody, but then they tiptoe around the the topics <laughs> you know it's actually kind of interesting you know I, i've noticed that it happens a lot in anime or manga that has some some bits of nationalism in it anime and manga is, or i wouldn't just say didn't say anime and manga but japanese media in general seems to really have a thing about nazis um mm-hmm. and a lot of times if you see someone represented from germany they quite literally usually are a nazi um so if we look towards, for instance, Helsing, the entire Millennium Organization are Nazis. If you watch Tanya the Evil, they are literally Nazis. Uh, Strike Witches, Nazis. Uh, Japan loves them some Nazis. Or is it supposed to be ironic because they learn from their past? I really don't know what Japan's doing there. You know, I have tried, and I know that it's this much deeper cultural dive than I have actually done but there's no concise reason for why it's just a celebration i guess of the part of their history don't quote me on that i'm not some cultural guru on why japan likes their nazis but you know it's weird though because you know in germany there's a there's a youtube channel and i'm probably about to butcher the name but i think it's called what i what i learned today and essentially they talked at one point about how germany handled their history lessons and how they handle history classes as opposed to the United States. So, for instance, in the United States, there are certain states like Texas that want to completely get rid of talks about slavery because it makes the state look bad. Germany, however, 
is going to smack you in the ever-loving face with Nazi imagery because they want you to know it's bad. They want you to know Nazism is bad. They want you to know nationalism is bad. And they continuously beat you over the head with it because they don't ever want it to happen again because allowing Hitler to do what he did made their entire country look bad. And on some levels, Japan sort of does the same. Japan, it's weird. Germany in their history books are essentially like, this is what happened. This was bad. We don't ever want it to happen again. Japan in their history books is like, World War II happened. Next page. Um, (laughs) It happened. And it's kind of weird because a lot of times you will see them glamorize and or make heroes of kamikaze pilots. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that one country took the prospect of, okay, we had a hand in a horrible issue of of history, and we don't ever want it to happen again. And at the same time, Japan never wants that to happen again, which is why they also don't have a standing military force. They just have the Japanese self-defense force. But at the same time, they're not actively saying, yo, this was horrible. They just seem to glamorize that portion. Now, I, I guess we also have to look at it in terms of America because America doesn't, we haven't seemed to learn our lesson yet because, 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 you know, we continue to put out imagery, imagery that kind of reinvokes these, these instances of, of hatred, of, of, of separation. And a lot of it is to show that, yo, this was bad. You know, one of the best uh, examples that I've seen as of late has been, um, uh, Lovecraft Country and Lovecraft Country. If you are African-American and you watch that first episode, hell, you watch the entire season that's been out. It is it is rough. It hurts to watch. But it's showing you, yo, this was horrible. This was bad. They basically are punching you over the head with it. Like, don't ever let this happen again. And like I said, that's the same lesson that Germany does. However, that's only certain parts of American media. Because American media since then has a tendency to, you know, always glamorize us as the heroes. And we're the good guys. and no, we've done some horrible things. We've we've been in a lot of wars we shouldn't have been in, and we kind of took over people's countries. And you know, we we won't talk about all the horrible mis- misgivings that America has been through because <laughs> that'd be a little podcast all in itself. <laughs> but uh, it's you know, it's just interesting how the countries take a different approach towards their history, and I guess why Nazis are a thing in Japan. Kind of strange. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I know that when my mom came to the U.S. from Mexico. She was 10 and she had to learn about the Alamo in class after having already learned about the Alamo in school in Mexico and got into a big old argument with the teacher because the way we teach it in Texas is not the way it's taught in Mexico. Oh yeah, of course not. A lot of people don't even realize that we lost the battle at the Alamo. Yeah. And then when you point it out to them, they're like, well, you know, let me backtrack. It's about honoring the men who died there. And I'm like, oh, the racist drunk men who died there. <laughs> We're going to honor them. Well, I mean, it goes into the same thing. You think about, you know, other American wars. People want to say, well, whoa, remember, you know, remember what happened in Korea? We lost. Like, remember Vietnam? We lost. Like, we've, we've lost a lot of the big, <laughs> a lot of the big initiatives we went into. But we want to, you know, constantly talk about it. And yes, we should. We should always honor these veterans. But don't, don't give reverence to, to things we shouldn't have been in to fucking begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's so strange. And especially the way our history books are written, you know, they say history is written by the victor. And in this case, we can't even say history is written by the victors because it's just written by, oh, they're never going to see this book. So let's write it the way we want it to sound. <laughs> and it, it's kind of really kind of strange that, you know, most people don't realize, you know, 
America lost. Like, we lost the Battle of the Alamo. Uh, but then again, I, I have a friend who honestly didn't, she, and this is, you know, it, it's somewhat similar. She didn't like, so for anybody who's, who's listening, I'm black, but I'm Brazilian. I had a, I told a friend of mine when I first met her that I was Brazilian and she looked at me, she's like, no, you're not. And I was like, yeah, I am. And she was just like, but you're black. I was like, sweetheart, you do realize Brazil has almost as many black people as Africa, right? <laughs> it's like, and you do realize that Brazil had the world's largest slave trade, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, and it's interesting you say that because a lot of the characters in Hatalia, one of the complaints is that most of them are white or whitewashed. Oh, yeah. There aren't a ton of African nations represented. Egypt is a player, but Egypt is whitewashed as hell. Uh, the Seychelles Islands is a player. They're whitewashed as hell. <laughs> I know, because cause of course, you know, African nations are, you know, <laughs> white people are only a racial minority there. You know, it's all right. No. <laughs> and I, <laughs> when asked the series creator, Kima Ruya, I hope I'm saying that right. I'm sorry if I'm not. Uh, he has said that he did not want to get into touchy subjects. You but, know. But you talked about World like War II. World War II. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make sense <laughs> well and it's interesting because there is no Ireland or at least not that I know of because he can't decide what Ireland's supposed to look like and there's the whole fact that Ireland is technically two different Irelands and yeah. I trip up over this series a lot I did watch it for a while and I did participate in the fandom until the death threats started rolling in let me tell you a story Avery. I'm feeling this is not going to go. My problem with Hatalia isn't actually the series. Okay. I think that, and we can get into it later, I think it does make a genuine attempt to be parody. Whether or not it succeeds at that is a horse of a different color, but the problem I have with Hatalia is the fans. The fandom, because Germany is the main protagonist, latched on to Germany. And there's a lot of queer baiting in the show. So the fact that Germany and Northern Italy have this sort of love, almost interest style thing going on, the will they, won't they. Well, is, that, is that supposed to be like an allusion to Hitler and Mussolini? or You know, that, that would be my guess, but I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. The thing is, the countries aren't the dictators or leaders. The countries oh, okay. are at the beck and call of what the leaders and the people want. Okay. But so a lot of fangirls coalesced around Germany. And Hold on, before you continue, let me just go ahead and take a guess. This show has a large female contingent? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I can sort of see where this, this is going. Okay. I tell you... The anime came up right as the rise of openly queer baiting animes really started to surface. Okay. And I'm talking the this is queer baiting under the guise of being an anime about a sport kind of series. Like Free. Uh, I, I actually, I, I really dig Free. <laughs> it was great, but you gotta admit, so much queer baiting. You know what? Um, as a straight man, it did not hit me for a long time. Like, it, <laughs> like it, after a while, you know, after a while, I'm thinking, I'm like, these dudes are real pretty. 
Uh, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm like, they real friendly with each other. Huh. You know what, though? This makes me want to go do free swimming. Let me go ahead and do that shit. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, like, it didn't hit me until, like, oh, this is Yuri on Ice, but they just didn't go all the way. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Which, also, I love Yuri on Ice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love Yuri on Ice, too, in a separate way. It has a lot of issues, but I kind of like complicated media. I know, I know nothing about the complications of Yuri on Ice. I just think it's a cute story. <laughs> Avery, we are going to have some conversations, you and I. <laughs> oh. oh, joy. Maybe when they, you know, leak that Yuri on Ice is going to finally come back. <laughs> the rumor that Hatalia is coming back in 2021 seems semi-legit. We'll see. But getting getting back to it, it was the fan base. Everybody really liked Germany. And... Uh, of course, there were other people who really liked, you know, America, England, France. They all had very likable personalities and very shippable. The whole series is just very, very shippable. The problem is when fans start cosplaying as Germany or just as Nazis mm-hmm. and then going to conventions and sig heiling and mm-hmm. taking pictures doing that or going to Holocaust memorials, cosplaying Germany, or making offensive Jewish art as a joke, quote-unquote. Oh, okay, yeah, no, that's... And then it, in the way almost every fandom does, the snake starts eating its own tail, uh, started, the the Germany stance, uh, started openly lashing out at fans of the series who would admit that they were Jewish. Like me, I'm never ashamed to admit that I'm Jewish. And I started receiving a lot of death threats. I have never received as many death threats from a fandom than I have from the Hatalia fandom. I'm kind of confused, though. Like, what What is there to lash out at you about, about being Jewish? That honestly seems to make no sense. Like, what is there to lash out about? Well, uh, it breaks down to these people wanting to emulate what they consider the joke aspect of Germany being involved in World War II with the concentration camps and the extermination of people of color, the mentally handicapped, the Jewish, the Romani, the gays. Which, (laughs) why didn't you lash out at the gays then? No, we're just going to go for the obvious. Okay, and so that's the other thing. (laughs) Well, I was like, are we going to talk about the rumor that Ava Braun was actually... Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's issue. <laughs> no, the other thing is a lot of the fan base was younger. Okay. And as you said, America doesn't teach its history very well, and a lot of other countries teach World War II history kind of selectively. So, a lot of these young people were coming into the series not knowing much and taking what was said in the series as rote, which is a problem. <laughs> because World War II was not cute. The excess powers were not cute. There were a lot of atrocities committed, obviously. Uh, if you weren't aware of that, listeners, Germany and the Axis powers did some fucked up shit. <laughs> yeah, it's... You know, all, all jokes aside, you know, I, I feel like, you know, we, we've, we've been just joking and laughing at this point about everything. But that becomes the the most dangerous part about incorrectly teaching history. 
and that mm-hmm. people don't know the real atrocities that occurred. You know, I could speak to I'm blue in the face about, you know, the things that America has done wrong, the things any other country has done wrong. And you should be taught about those things because by being taught those things, you set up a path to not redo them. Now, do you listen to them? 2020 will show you something completely different. <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, you learn from your mistakes. And when shows such as Italia, in some form or fashion, begin to glamorize a particular nasty part of a country's history, you know, it, it pushes a false narrative. And then that false narrative is continued to be passed down as people think, oh, well, that, that's, that's true. Um, like you said, you know, they, they believe that it, you know, bleed its road and, you know, kept, kept it moving. And that's, that's where you end up with people having a, and I would say mostly honest misconception of things. And, uh, like you said, the, the Axis powers, they did horrible, horrible things. Um, and some horrible shit happened in World War II. Uh, we, we want to talk about the number of lives that were lost. You get this in a lot of anime centered fandoms as you said nazis are a common feature in anime so you get a lot of cosplayers who cosplay nazis and nazi imagery used in the cosplay community and it just that's its own complicated rabbit hole because a lot of nazi imagery bleeds into a lot of aspects of everyday life that still persists that people don't realize or think about. And it is what it is at this point. I'm not going to nitpick every little detail. I am going to nitpick people dressing up, though, as Nazi Germany and going to a Holocaust memorial or a Holocaust survivor grave site and sig heiling. That, that bothers me. <laughs> No, I mean it. No, it it should. It's it's horrible. The people that thought it was funny to do that. It's I I don't I don't care. Those like, well, you know, it's a joke. No, that's not a joke. Those are people's family members that you're disrespecting. Well, and as a Jewish person, I've experienced that many many times. And Hatalia was not the first fandom that I got death threats from. Uh, there was a moment back in my early days of fandom where I stuck a toe into the South Park fandom, and that was the first fandom I got death threats as a Jew. Girl, what are you doing? Like, I don't... (laughs) I am existing! (laughs) I'm just... Are you a magnet for this shit? I don't (laughs) understand. (laughs) I, I will openly talk about my heritage, my culture, my traumas. I... I like to be very open about it because if I can even educate or help one person, then it's worth the death threats I receive. So I do tend to wave those flags pretty openly online. And maybe that makes me an easy target. And that's fine. If I get the death threat and some poor teenage girl doesn't, then I can rest my head at night soundly. But It is sad. It is sad that fans will take it to that extreme. That is what frustrates me about the idea of Hitalia coming back, is I fear the resurgence of that fandom, especially in the political climate we uh, live in. I think the problem, though, comes from the fact that we're not taught 
a lot of, I mean, we can't even be taught the correct history. That is a defense in the fandom for why most characters are whitewashed is because apparently that is how Japan apparently huge air quotes uh, views a lot of other nations as just being white, blonde haired and blue eyed. I mean, I can see that. Yeah, Um. I I do, too. I I'm not apologizing for Hitalia or defending it on that aspect, but that is the defense. And I can track the line of logic in that defense. It is what it is. There's a lot of whitewashing in anime, and it's certainly not going to stop cold turkey. (laughs) Of course. Well, you mentioned that, you know, obviously there are not many African nations there, but you did mention Egypt and the Seychelles Islands. And, you know, it kind of makes me just, you know, a lot of mangaka or, you know, anime creators don't necessarily if, if black characters are ever introduced they're usually gonks if you don't know what a gonk is people it's a it's a trope but it usually means an ugly bastard um usually looks very ape-like uh monkey-like um usually it, it looks like a very 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 bad racial stereotype usually huge big colored lips big white smiles you get where i'm going it's, it's like an old minstrel character um, you know, black women in anime and manga tend to be almost the equivalent of mammies. And, you know, very, very few manga, you know, include black characters. And it's for good reason. You know, I've listened to a couple of interviews and a lot of them say because, well, there's not black people in Japan. And that's where their stories are centered. But the ones that do include them often are these, these, you know, weird caricatures. Um, I would say the the one person I've seen that doesn't tend to whitewash their characters and and actively wants to include characters of color. He he openly stated, and this is uh Asushi Okubo. He is the creator of Soul Eater, creator of Fire Force. Um, you know, if if you like shonen manga, he's your man. Um, he actively wanted to put black people in his his manga. Um, because he straight up said, I want black characters because he wanted to include them because he felt that black characters weren't ever included. All of these manga and anime and whatnot want to include characters from all over the world, but you can't seem to put in black people. And he, he thought something was wrong with that. Um, and so, you know, he actively has, you know, put in, you know, black characters in both of his, both of his stories and their, their main characters and their badasses at that. And, you know, I think it's really interesting that because I believe you said that Hitalia went for the white rushing route of Egypt and the Seychelles Islands, mm-hmm. which I mean, you know, America had its own issue, has its own issues with whitewashing Egyptians. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we want to talk about gods of Egypt, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, it's, it even goes back down to our understanding of of history. You know, everyone seems to think, oh, well, Cleopatra, you know, white woman. No, Cleopatra wasn't white. Uh, it's like, I hate to tell you, she wasn't. Uh, Cleopatra was very much so a brown woman. Um, well, I think a lot of that also stems from how they're just represented in media. In America, yeah. a lot of early Egyptian depiction in film was, you know... White people. White people. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I, I feel bad just saying white people, because, uh, you know, White people is, is very different. You can be Anglo-Saxon, Caucasus, you know, Caucasus Mountains, blah 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 blah. You know, whether you break down into nationality, ethnic groups, whatever. Uh, 
the the main representation and you know the idea that at least in the early parts of Hollywood, that's all that was there. There were nothing but white actors. Uh, anybody of color was always a background character, and you know, and unfortunately, we even look to hell religion. Um, our understanding of the Christian Jesus is what we see. You know, the white man with the long brown hair and uh, usually has blue eyes. I believe I I don't remember. I, it's been a while since I've seen a a uh, portrait of Christ um, at a church. Um, usually the churches I go to try not to put that imagery up. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's scary for a lot of people because a lot of times it's the, the image of Christ on the cross and, you know, nailings and all that type of stuff. So it's kind of jarring for a lot of younger people and they don't, they try not to put that up. But, you know, in the Bible though, the, the Bible says that Christ had skin of olive and hair is like sheep's wool. Um, that don't that don't sound like that photo. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so you know it's 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 interesting. It's just it goes down to the creator's mindset. Mm-hmm. Obviously, here the creator, I think you said, didn't want to get into touchy issues. Um, I don't know what touchy issue there would have been by making Egypt or the Seychelles Islands, you know, black, brown, or just any somewhat form of colored. Uh, but you know well and to be fair as the years have passed up until i think the video game uh, seychelles has gotten a little bit darker in each season she's not what i would consider black appearing she is a tan looking girl (laughs) white girl (laughs) well i mean i you know honestly black folks we come in all colors Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my sister is very, very pale. Uh, my sister is almost white passing. My mom is white passing or, you know, so my, my wife is Puerto Rican, which for most people who don't know is, is Latin, but they're considered Afro Latin. And my wife is incredibly white passing. Um, you would not know if I didn't tell you. So. And to be fair, I'm incredibly yeah. white passing. You couldn't tell seeing me on the street that I'm Jewish or Hispanic. So it has nothing to do with the bright pink hair. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I would, I would never guess with the bright pink hair. Um, I, I would just ask you, you know, is is Rainbow Bright missing you? Uh, you wouldn't ask if I'm an anime protag. No, no. I would ask you, um, did you just get back from Equestria? And uh, what, what is your actual pony name? Because <laughs> I. <don't- laughs> Blow, blow. <laughs> hey, n- nothing but love for the My Little Pony community. Um, I- I've never watched it. Uh, I know very little about it, but my, my goddaughter loves it. <laughs> uh, that's another fandom that I was in for half a second, and it got ugly real fast, and I said, you know what? Nah. <laughs> You know that, that that My Little Pony fandom is deep, and you know, and here's the thing, and I'm just, I'm gonna sound very stupid, so I apologize. I don't really understand what fandom is, uh, so the fact that I'm on a podcast about <laughs> fandom talking to you is kind of ironic. I I understand being a fan of things and being part of a community of things, but I don't understand what fandom, quote unquote, is. Well, so to break it down into the like most simple explanation, fandom is a community for people who are a fan of things 
who want to be very obsessive about it, who mm. want to cosplay and draw art and write fanfic and talk about it all day, every day. It isn't just nerd stuff, though. And I mm. think that is a big misconception when people talk about fandom as it becomes more mainstream. It isn't just the Star Wars fandom or the Hitalia fandom. Sports have fandoms. <laughs> There's a guy who lives down the street from me. I'm not even kidding. He has 50 burnt orange flamencos and an actual, honest-to-God, cement, handcrafted, he had this made, cement longhorn in his front yard because he loves UT that much. He flies more than one flag. His car is burnt orange. And this man is actually genuinely the nicest man I've met in my neighborhood. He has a big old vote blue no matter who sign out there. It's the only speck of not burnt orange in his whole damn yard. (laughs) But I would say he participates in a fandom. Okay. Okay. So it's it's more like... Blizzard fans, please don't hate me. It's like going above and beyond, almost into um, obsession territory. <laughs> a little bit, a little yeah. bit. You can you can be uh, as deep into it or as far away from fandom as you want. Not everybody has to have the same level of obsession. But if you've listened to Kendra talk about Game of Thrones, <laughs> Kendra loves Game of Thrones, season eight excluded. <laughs> I love Has Been Hotel. I've brought it up many times. We joke that we have to go into our own separate corners when we talk about these things because it feels like that sometimes. It feels like fandom is a separate corner of my life that I sit in for big chunks yeah. of my day. And then sometimes I go to the kitchen. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's okay. I, I you know, now that you now that you've sort of explained a little bit, uh, <laughs> I, I get it. I had a <laughs> Funny enough, a when I used to work at the school I, I went to, a girl tried to come up and sit with me at lunch because she wanted to flirt with me. And I didn't realize this. And at the time, I was listening to a Power Rangers podcast. I am a huge Power Rangers fan. See? And so, so she came and sat down with me and started talking. And she was like, oh, what are you talking? What are you listening to? And I went off on like a 20-minute rant about Bruce Kalish and Kalish explosions and why the Power Rangers <laughs> production had to move to New Zealand. <laughs> like, I, it is a whole thing. We somehow still ended up dating. I don't know how she didn't run for the hills. But <laughs> it's like, so I get it now. I, I get it now. <laughs> there are probably a lot of people out there who participate in fandom without realizing it. Um, you don't have to be the all-out Marvel fandom nerd, which I would say Marvel is another one that you probably tiptoe around the fandom, Avery. Uh, Marvel? Meh. Honestly, like, I used to be really bad with comic books, like, super bad. Um, but I, I never really got involved. I, I've never been one of those people that just wants to, like, sit down and talk about it. I like reading <gasps> the stories. Bullshit! You gave me an hour-long lecture <laughs> about the first Captain America when we first met! Okay. <laughs> 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 that that occurred because my that's occurred because my friend was so fucking into Captain America. He gave me that hour long speech. 
<laughs> like he is obsessive about Captain America. Like obsessive. Well, you can thank him for our friendship. Because <laughs> sitting there in that lecture, I was just like, you know what? I like this guy. <laughs> It's funny though, because you do mention, I gave my friends an hour long speech about the X-Men. Like, I ultimately, I am probably, if I have to say I'm obsessed with anything, it's probably the X-Men, that time I got reincarnated as a slime and Borderlands. <laughs> like, ah, uh, catch a ride, catch a ride. <laughs> And, it, you know, I remember talking to my wife and uh, we were walking out of a restaurant one night and she goes, and it just popped into my head. I was like, you know what? I was like, when I die, I was like, you know, I don't want that, you know, loving, loving husband, blah, blah, blah stuff. I was like, nope. I want Catch a Rye, Vault Hunter, written on my tombstone. <laughs> and she, she looks me dead in the face and goes, no. <laughs> I don't even get my final wish of death. <laughs> I constantly joke with Kelty. I'll come up with really good quotes from movies or books or whatever we're watching together i'll be like you know what as i lay dying holding your hand these are gonna be my last words and she gets so mad every time <laughs> but i want my death to be memorable damn it um uh bliss it's not a season finale it's the end of your life <laughs> <laughs> i would say that's a wrap-up <laughs> that's the ultimate wrap-up fam <laughs> You can put that on my tombstone. How many seasons did I get? Six seasons in a movie, bitch. <laughs> Poor Hatalia. <laughs> like it is, it's kind of crazy because you're you're mentioned. Like you know, I know we just went hell off topic, but like you know, it kind of goes back into that. I, I guess you know, the fandom of Hatalia got so large that it was able to last for six seasons. I have no idea how, uh, based on the premise you told me, but I don't know anything about it. So, well, I I definitely dipped out after season four, and yeah, there's a lot to cover in world history. They do touch their toe into colonialism. That's a big old theme to the point where in the video game there is a moment where England puts a collar on Seychelles and tells her that she belongs to him now. Then she turns uh... around and beats him up. Uh, okay. Woo! Okay. I was like, um, I was like, um, that's, um, you know, that's, uh, well, and the relationship that America and England, I will say this. My favorite arc in the whole series is the American Revolution. They, ooh, they cock tease you with that for a long ass time. Payout is not as great as I would have liked, but. It was a very interesting concept, and it was, I know people ship them, but it was pitched, at least, with them having a sibling-like relationship with England being America's big brother-esque character, whereas Canada was the little brother to France. Mm -hmm. um, Spain took in, or southern Italy, so, you know. The dynamics of the whole universe England, France, uh, oh god, who else am I thinking of? Well, it doesn't matter. The, a lot of, you know, the main colonizing countries yeah. were siblings. It's interesting. There are moments in the show where I'm like, hey, look at you. That's a clever way to think about that. And then there's just the rest of it. <laughs> uh, speaking of the rest of it, though, oh. I want to pivot real quick to an ad break. Okay. 
And then we'll be back to get into the part of this show where I'm going to get kind of angry. <laughs> Run. Run now. <laughs> and, and we're back. Angry. Are you still here? You still here? <laughs> yep. That's your fault. <laughs> Avery, I want to talk to you about the main defense people make when they talk about Hitalia. Okay. Their defense is, well, the show is meant to be a parody. Okay. After all, the show is literally named Stupid Italy, or Useless Italy. I've seen different translations. And I do think that it has moments where it hits the nail on the head and actually is a parody. Mm-hmm. I think there are some actually very good moments where it does that. The rest of the show, though, I feel, really struggles with finding that balance. Because I think in being a parody, you have to walk a very fine line of truth and fiction for the sake of humor. Think Hogan's Heroes. POW camps weren't like that. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's an almost perfect example of a show that was set in World War II that probably did not need to exist that was meant to be a parody. And I think it had a lot of really good moments. I think that show definitely had uh, a higher rate of moments than Natalia does, and Hogan's Heroes didn't last nearly as long. <laughs> and then there's things like MASH, where they have satirical moments, but it was, you know, billed as a comedy, but I wouldn't, yeah. personally, I would not say MASH was a comedy. The whole series ends with the Korean War ending, and spoilers, everybody, uh, Hawkeye having to go to a mental hospital for a minute because of PTSD and suicidal ideation and all that good, good stuff. And these are just talking about things that are uh, shows that existed that surrounded war. I think there are real ways to satirize war. Yeah. I don't think Hitalia hit that mark 90% of the time. And wh- why would you, for you, why would you say you believe it didn't hit that mark? I think personally, I feel like it didn't hit that mark because of the balance uh, of fact to fiction. Okay. And when I say fiction, I mean fictionalizing things for the sake of humor. Well, it, it was like you pointed out earlier. Why did Germany and Italy have this pseudo teasing relationships Was it because of the relationship Hitler and Mussolini had? Was it uh, because of the relationship Germany had uh, with Franz Ferdinand? Was it any number of actual things? But it it never coalesced into a legitimate explanation. It was just this, "Eh." (laughs) here it is. (laughs) And that's fine. That's fine. But then I don't feel like you get to say that it's a parody because you're not Mm. making a social commentary on anything you're just making a dumb joke for the sake of making a joke and you've set your show in a controversial point in history and you're making jokes but if you're not making a statement or making a commentary then you're just making jokes and the jokes feel hollow to me or inappropriate Mm. because of the weight of what you're joking about I think uh, humor makes things less legitimate to some people. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, you know, to play devil's advocate, I think sometimes adding humor to a painful situation makes things easier to digest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just depending on the subject matter, 
like something such as like the Holocaust is, is a really tough subject. And almost every mainstream television show that has lasted for X number of years has made fun of the Holocaust at some point. Uh, but at the same time, they have also brought awareness to things like the Holocaust. They brought awareness to ethnic cleansings and, you know, in Africa or the entire, you know, situation, Berlin Wall, things like that. All of those situations have been, you know, things have been made fun of to such a degree. But it's also the reason why those things exist in the cultural zeitgeist now. And people know them just off the top of their heads. They may not know from where. And especially a lot of, you know, children being born nowadays have no idea what the hell the Holocaust is. Um, they'll learn. Uh, Will they? <laughs> Will they? Um, it, it depends on if your legislature, if your legislators want to get rid of things in the history books, um, like turning slaves into indentured servants. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Jim Crow. <laughs> uh, you know, but it, it is what it is. But, you know, for the most part, they, they will learn. They'll learn in some form or fashion. And if they don't, they'll be able to pick it up from popular culture that's presented to them in a funny way. Now, whether they take that ball that's passed to them from that point on and then go to actually learn about some things, it's, it's, it's up to them. To your point that for something to be truly satirical, that it kind of has to be, you know, making fun of something in a, in a more direct manner as opposed to a roundabout manner. Eh. For me, one of the best examples of a, of a satirical use of subject matter, and it, it's, you know, apples to oranges comparison here is Konosuba's satirical take on Isekai. Um, and have you, have you watched Konosuba? Mm-mm. Okay. Do you know what Isekai is? No. Oh, shit, fam. Less time to go to school. Learn me <laughs> something, baby. <laughs> All right. So Isekai, it's, it's actually become its own subgenre now. But Isekai <clears throat> is a Japanese term that literally means uh, another world. And basically in Isekai fiction, a character is taken from one world to another. That's literally what it means, whisked away. And it became popularized after such cultural and cult classics such as like John Carter of Mars. So and that's kind of where it became. But however, in more modern years, we've we've seen this we've seen the Isekai boom. It that really and truly began with Sword Art Online. I would personally say that it started with Dot Hack, but most people don't remember Dot Hack. Um, what about Digimon? Would that classify? Digimon does classify. Most people don't think about it, though. And so, you know, where the boom began, as I said, it was with Sword Art Online. And from there, you started to see all these, quote unquote, RPG lit mm-hmm. examples. But it started to progress more and more to where each character needed to be like Kirito. They needed to be the best at this, the best at that, the best at this. To the point where OP main characters is now a standard of Isekai. This person that's whisked away from their world to this next now has to be OP. He has to have some sort of special cheat. Just like Kirito had his speed and he had his ability to dual wield. And he somehow had the world's greatest luck. And I I mean, I guess the dude had mega pheromones because women were just throwing themselves at him. Uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, that's how the the one trope goes, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he, he, either he was the only viable candidate or something was going on there. But, you know, that's beside the point. And so all these characters pick up this OP main character thing and the harem aspect where every available, every fertile available woman is throwing themselves at them. That became the standard for Isekai. However, now Konosuba comes along and Konosuba takes that entire situation and kicks it in the dick. Uh, <laughs> 
And the reason Konosuba does this is it takes every bit of isekai tropes and switches it. Every bit of it. So normally in Hisekai, a character is either summoned to another world by some sort of spell gone wrong, or they die and are reborn. Kazuma, our main character, is reborn in this other world. And he is going to get a cheat, just like everybody else. However, he gets screwed royally. So he goes to this other world and he decides, I want the ultimate cheat. He's being reincarnated by a god. So he gets to take one cheat with him to the next world. So what's he choose? The god. (laughs) He chooses to take the god with him. Well, it turns out... She's useless and stupid. (laughs) 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 And he gets this other world, which is now like a RPG. So people have classes and they have magic and stuff and they level up. Well, what's his class? Adventurer. What does that mean? You have the lowest stats ever. And you essentially are a a jack of all trades, master of none. But, um, but they bury you completely. And, you know, the god he brings with him gets to be a high priest. I mean, she has this amazing magic, and she could do this, that, and the other. But again, she's stupid. So she spends all her magic points on trick magic. So she has no actual abilities to use magic in battle. She does parlor tricks. Mm-hmm. Well, he's having to learn all this stuff, and it's such a humorous take on all these. He's not overpowered. He's underpowered. The next teammate he gets uses amazing explosion magic. Problem with her is... Explosion magic literally is one shot. And she refuses to learn any other magic other than explosion magic because explosion magic is the coolest thing in the world to her. So she gets to launch one nuke at a time and then she literally falls flat on her face and has to be carried for the rest of the day. <laughs> then he's thinking, well, okay, let's find another team member. Well, then he gets a team who is a crusader, which is essentially a paladin in their world. And then she's this girl who has massive strength and she wields a sword and a shield and she looks gallant. Problem is, um, she can't swing her sword, uh, not, not because she lacks the ability to, because she's a masochist and wants to be hurt. So she prefers to be a shield and it's not, uh, she's not a masochist just because she likes pain. No, 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 no. She likes to be humiliated. She likes the idea of having her clothes ripped and being subjugated to inhuman tortures Including by Kazuma. Uh, darkness is... <sighs> just... <laughs> if you watch Konosuba, we're going to have a discussion about darkness. <laughs> <laughs> she, she is legitimately one of the funniest characters in the show because there is something wrong with that poor child. <laughs> and so... Basically, usually in this guy, the characters get together and they have these own, they have these overpowered teams and the main character is the most overpowered person. Here, every person is more amazing than our main characters, but they're completely useless because they're all idiots. Kazuma is the weakest person in the party, but he's, he's literally the straight man in a world of morons. So, he has to use his brain to get through things. And normally in, in anime, you know, oh, well, the smart character's fine. You look at things like Death Note, or you look at things like Log Horizon, where the character who's the smartest is the most powerful. Cosmo's probably the smartest character in the show. He also has the world's worst luck. Uh, and so everything bad that can happen to a character happens to Cosmo. Every single thing. Normally in Isekai's, the main character has luck, has horseshoes flying out of their ass. Because they are that fucking lucky. Oh, I tripped over this stick. Oh, what do you know? This stick is actually a scalibur. 
<laughs> or it'll be like, oh, I saved this old man from getting trampled by horses. Oh, well, let me let me reward you by offering you this mansion and my granddaughter. <laughs> like, and so that that shit happens. That doesn't happen to Cosmo. <laughs> Cosmo spends the entire first season and a half completely destitute, <laughs> and then is put on trial <laughs> for a crime he didn't commit. <laughs> And then on top of that, he wins a whole bunch of money, gets a mansion, and thinks everything is turning out alright. And then Aqua, because Aqua is the god, because she's stupid, wastes all of his money, makes him destitute again to the point where they are literally burning his clothes for warmth. <laughs> and it and one thing about Konosuba is it is legitimately funny. Like, and I I mean to the point where I don't Comedic anime, comedic manga don't make me laugh normally. Konosuba had me in tears. That's how funny it actually is. And because it takes all those things we've come to know about Isekai and come to know about the overpowered shonen protagonist and come to know about the, the harem genre in fantasy and just says, fuck it. We're, <laughs> we're going to make fun of everything. And I think for that, Konosuba is now used as the standard to show this is what the problem is with isekai because you have all of these things you come to expect this is the problem and this is why there's now a subgenre and this is the problem with that subgenre because all these characters are the same they're the same breakdown of a fucking character konosuba is looked at differently and is revered because it exposes all of those things but does so in a humorous light to where you can point out okay okay obviously in a normal anime, okay i get why that's stupid okay I get why the you no know, the the one trope is dumb. Okay, I I get why this character being supremely lucky is stupid and hampers the character. It does a very good job of exposing these things, but doing it in a, a palatable way. And I, I think when parody and satire are brought up and are used by different mediums, it, it it's able to allow people to you know digest these things. Like, like what they say, how do you eat an elephant? A bite at a time. And so by using that little bit, it'll, it'll, it makes things a little bit easier to digest. I'm not saying that Hatalia was correct in what it did, because I don't exactly know how it, how it functioned and what it did. But I think it was trying to, it was trying to croach the, the situation without beating you over the head with the information. However, unfortunately, sometimes satire and parody do go wrong, and it's just jokes for jokes' sakes, as you were saying. Well, and I think, Italia definitely hit the nail on the head several times. They make a joke, speaking of burning clothes, uh, they make a joke about grease burning its pants because it had nothing else to keep it warm because grease went through a terrible, terrible economic downfall. And there's, there's little things like that. I'm like, yeah, that is a well thought out joke and if it's not well thought out you definitely tripped and hit gold because it works <laughs> yeah and i think there's a lot of stereotypes that are respectful in the show that are funny like america is constantly eating hamburgers and yeah it sounds a lot like sounds like I, a lot of american life <laughs> and england is being depicted as not being able to make good food and <laughs> <laughs> France is uh, very effeminate, and yeah. he flirts with a bunch of people. He's good at cooking. 
but he's not okay. strong, and he's shown as always showing up after the fact to pile on when people have victories. You know, it's it's weird because you mentioned that, and I was thinking, I was like, I you know, I played this video game, Captain Subasa. For anyone who's a huge soccer fan, then they they know the name Captain Subasa, especially if you grew up in any country outside of America. Um, and the French team is the quote unquote the fourth strongest team in the game. Um, it just depends on the route you end up going, but they're the opponent you face in the semifinals. And their entire thing, their main player, and their strongest player, his entire motif is elegance and grace. It's not about power with him. It's about the ability to just do things through sheer technique and the beauty of it all. And I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, I was like, well, he's strong and he's powerful. I'm like, wait a minute, no, he's not. Uh, it was just like everything, everything's about finesse with him. <laughs> Wait a minute, total. So it's like I guess you know, I guess the trope makes sense. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I think there are more harmful stereotypes in the show that I, I won't necessarily get into because that's not really the point of what I'm trying to say. My issue is when Italia misses the market, misses the mark hard. It is attempting for parody or satire. And what do you know about movies that Hollywood produced that were against Germany in World War II? Before America actually went to war with Germany. Uh, well, considering America actually had like a non-aggression pact with Germany up until that point. I'm assuming it was very much a buddy cop movie. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, there's an excellent two-part series on Behind the Bastards that goes into much more detail than I will. But essentially, America, in order to make money in Germany, which was one of their largest markets, had to play by their rules. So if Germany thought that a film was indecent it was not allowed to be shown in Germany, which meant America would not make its money back. Much like now, Disney has to play by China's rules, because if it doesn't make its money in China, it doesn't make its money back. Uh, things like King Kong. King Kong was not acceptable in Germany. Huh. Hitler thought it was huh. hilarious, huh. but it was not huh. allowed to be shown in Germany. <laughs> uh, so I bring this up because there were literally... Less than a handful of movies. I'm talking like two films that were made trying to point out what was happening in Germany to the larger American audience. And both films were accidentally anti-Semitic. <laughs> and Germany loved these films and uses clips from these films in their own propaganda like The Eternal Jew. They cut it and then would dub over to explain why the Jew is greedy or the Jew is sneaky. Using material from these films that were meant to be informative and well-intentioned. Yeah. And I guess that's my problem with Italia. Is sure, maybe it is all well-intentioned. It's supposed to be funny. But when your fan base takes it and twists it, is it still parody? Hell, Charlie Chaplin dedicated so much time and effort into creating The Great Dictator. Mm -hmm. Hollywood, by that point, by the point where he was almost done with it, we had gone to war with Germany, was begging him to release it because we finally needed some anti-Hitler propaganda. Because back then, everybody fucking loved Hitler. Except for the people who didn't, and then they disappeared. But <laughs> years later, Charlie Chaplin 
was on record regretting making The Great Dictator. He was afraid that while originally he believed that Hitler was uh, deserving of ridicule and needed to be laughed at, post-war, Charlie Chaplin really wondered about the long-term good of what his film did. Because while, yeah, it defanged Hitler in its portrayal of this fictional Hitler, did it make him more dangerous? Because now he can slide under the radar into our consciousness? Like Mel Brooks's films. Blazing Saddles. Super racist. <laughs> Very Super racist. racist. That was not Mel Brooks's intention, though. Yeah. So he thought he was making a parody. And... Yeah. 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 I, I've, I've only seen bits and pieces of Blazing Saddles. I've maybe seen the first 30 minutes of Blazing Saddles. Oh. And, it, yeah. and, it, and it's, you know, and the sad part is, even in the first 30 minutes, you're like, oh, this is that kind of movie. <laughs> um... But, I mean, I guess you can even look at it in sort of a, you know, a, a different kind of context. You know, like you said, Mel Brooks thought he was doing something, you know, something different. You know, he thought he was just making, you know, a comedy. He wasn't attempting to be racist in any way, shape, or form because that's not who Mel Brooks was. But at the same time, you look at movies like that have come out more recently, such as Django Unchained. Mm-hmm. Not not a comedy, but Quentin is not trying to be racist. But that movie's hella racist. <laughs> but at the same time, it brought a lot of light to the atrocities of slavery at the time. Now, it was also in Quentin's own way, and we won't talk about we won't talk about the the, the problems with Quentin Tarantino, who I absolutely love. There's inherent problems in his filmmaking, and unfortunately, some of those things are continue to be used by new young filmmakers because they worship the ground Quentin walks on. But that stated, you know, I, I completely get what you mean. It's unfortunate things are taken and twisted and they're they're not what you intend for them to be when they're when they're created. Exactly. And I am not saying that the creator was in any way intentionally trying to be cruel. I think that in rewatching it, I got drunk yesterday and rewatched the first two seasons. Because maybe maybe my memories of what the show was had been so twisted by my interactions with the fandom that I'd gotten it wrong. But no, it, it was what I remembered it to be. <laughs> it's not on its face offensive, but it is insidious in how easy it is to twist. Okay. It doesn't hit the mark with enough of its jokes for it to qualify as a legit parody to me. I think it has its moments, like I said. And I I don't even want to go so far as to say it's problematic. Because I don't think it is. I really think it boils down to the fans being the issue. And that's unfortunate. And I desperately, desperately don't want a resurgence of that in the potential uh, new season. But I think with where we are in fandom-verse with the Puritans and their whole crusade i can't imagine uh shit being much better i i still get death threats for disagreeing with people about censorship i don't think i am very anti-censorship for the record in case anybody's wondering i think that most things if you have an intention to create it uh you should be allowed to do i have to agree with what you create no. Would I say that the creator of Italia shouldn't have created Italia? No. I think he had every right to. 
Do I like it? No. So do I interact with it much? No. And that's fine. I wish more people did that. It's the instigation, the leveling up of fans to agitate each other, which is human nature that really irritates me <laughs> at the end I of the day. I can see that. Unfortunately, some, as I can say this now because I actually understand what it means, uh, some fandoms <laughs> <laughs> um, do become toxic. Unfortunately, they take things about the the product, about you know whatever whatever that product may be, whether it be sports, whether it be you know anime, manga, comic books, film, radio dramas, whatever, and they take it wholeheartedly because it becomes a part of who they are, mm-hmm. and they they integrate that into every part of their everyday lives. And there's just nothing wrong with, it. but where it becomes a problem is when the problematic areas, and I will say problematic areas of those those products are then transferred onto their daily lives. Mm-hmm. So I'll bring this up. Juggalos. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if you don't know what the Juggalos are, uh, Juggalos are fans of the Insane Clown Posse. You're either a Juggalo or a Juggalette. <laughs> um, the Insane Clown Posse, funny enough, you know, they, they sort of make Detroit hip hop, but their music is, it's very strange. It's usually very, you know, expletive laden. Um, usually very strange um it's almost it's almost horror core in, in a way like it, it can get there if you've um, ever usually... seen one of those people uh with their faces painted white with the black clown aspects of it people out there listening in the ether that's what a juggalo is yeah yeah that, that's that's a juggalo here's the thing about the insane clown posse their music is actually created even though it's even though it's talking about like crazy things the overwhelming message behind all of their songs and behind the Dark Carnival, which is the creed of the Juggalos, is about doing good, about going against the the evils of the world. Matter of fact, uh, I don't remember what year this was. It may have been 2006, 2007, I don't remember. They put out two albums, Heaven or Hell. And essentially, they tell you in those albums, in the little pamphlet that's in the, the album covers, they tell you, if you chose hell, you chose wrong. They're straight up telling you, like, if you thought this is what the Dark Carnival is about, you chose wrong. This is not the life you want to live. ICP is uh, intentionally trying to lead people to God. <laughs> that that is their that is their goal. That is their motive. They actually they are very outspoken about their religious beliefs. They are very outspoken about that they want people to do good. That they want people to treat others well. That they want to get rid of the evils in the world. And therefore, a lot of their their creeds are based upon biblical principle. That's well and good. That's their intention. Now, the reason we bring up Juggalos... Here it comes. <laughs> Everyone oh. brace yourself. <laughs> Juggalos have been involved in a lot, and I do mean a lot, of uh, crime uh, issues. Um, they are at some points classified as an organized gang. They are involved in lots of murders. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are people taking the message of ICP... And warping it, like making it such a part of their daily lives that they are going to the absolute breaking point. That's not what ICP created, you know, the dark, the dark circus or the jugglers for. They wanted to create a place where they could help to push a message out about being good and have a, a place of acceptance for, for jugglers and juggalettes. And some people take that and go 
completely left. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> it, it gets bad. And so that, you know, that's an extreme example. Like it, when I say it goes extreme with the Juggalos, I literally mean they've been involved in some pretty heinous things. And those are the outskirts members. Now, going back to Natalia, are all members of the Natalia fandom like that? I would assume no. No. Uh, but there are definitely some people who, you know, are stands of Germany. And they're like, I, I want to be just like Germany. And being just like Germany means I have to make fun of Jewish people and I have to do horrible things. And that's not the point. That's not what the creator was doing. I mean, I don't know how Germany is in the show. I don't know if Germany is a, you know, a fascist dickhead. Uh, Honestly, no. Germany's pretty nice. Which is, I think, why I find it very unfortunate. Because he's a fairly nice, likable character, all things considered. He's very rigid. German stereotype. Mm -hmm. And honestly, uh, it was like you said earlier, Germany does a lot uh, to educate so that we don't repeat our mistakes. So the fact that people twist it and decide to harp on and bite down on that one aspect of German history it's pretty no. sad. <laughs> you know, it's upsetting. And uh, I, I would assume that there's no creator who wants that to be the message people take out of their shows. For anyone who's listening who's not a writer, by and large, most writers create stuff with a message behind it. That does not mean all things have a message behind it. For you English majors out there, you know who you are. <laughs> Just because someone has purple curtains in a scene does not mean that they're they're representing their misplaced childhood. <laughs> the curtains are just purple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've taken a lot of English classes. Those people exist. Uh, <laughs> we've had conversations. Um, but, you know, a lot of times a creator has a message behind what they're, they're attempting to convey. And usually it's positive message or it's, it's usually referring to a subject or they're, they're going a roundabout manner of providing some sort of catharsis for people. I know in the anime Blue Seed, the creator was basically going about through this whole idea of the origami and, you know, basically retelling the story of, you know, Kagasuchi and uh, Kushinari Hime, but it was also talking about it was a celebration of humanity. It was a celebration of, of people and the, the love and the strength that can come from us coming together against a common force. Therefore, how did they defeat the origami? They literally partied. They literally had Matsuri. They literally partied to give strength to, <laughs> to, to give strength to, uh, Kusanagi. And that's how the world worked there. It was it was a celebration of humanity. And I'm pretty sure here how Talia is supposed to be a celebration of, of cultural differences and also how they're same, celebrating their friendships. And then some people just take the worst aspects of that and it's like, nah, fuck all that bullshit. Uh <laughs> well and as a creator, I do genuinely feel empathy for Himaria because I I don't think that he intended for his work to be twisted like that. And it's sad. Do I lay some of the onus at his feet? Maybe. Uh, maybe just a little bit. Just just tiny bit. Just, tiny a, bit. just <laughs> a tiny bit. I Take some creative writing workshops on how to write parody. <laughs> Not that I get to be the end-all, be-all, and have the last say on that, but I just don't think you're content actually hits the mark enough for it to be considered good parody 
But at the end of the day, I really do think it's the fan base that ruins yeah. it with a lot of things. Um, so it's unfortunate. <laughs> you know, and, and this is just me throwing things out there. And, you know, if you have any Japanese fans who would want to explain this to you, by all means, um, maybe there's a culture difference in what is considered parody and satire in Japan as opposed to what it is here in the States. By so, all means, if y'all know, if I have any Japanese fans out there who know why anime has so many Nazis in it, or <laughs> why maybe I don't feel like there's enough parody in it, maybe I am missing something. Please hit me up. <laughs> I am always down to have conversations with people. Do not hit me up with death threats. <laughs> I'm, to... I'm having a year, y'all. <laughs> All, all of this entire world is having a year. Like, whoo, stay, stay off Facebook, folks. Stay off Facebook. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Avery, do you think we talked about the thing? We, we talked the hell out about that thing. <laughs> <laughs> well then, everybody, I want to thank y'all for joining us today on this rambling journey. I am Bliss, and you can find me at Blissfully Show on Twitter and Instagram. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. Come hit me up. Let's have a conversation. And Avery, where can the good people at home find you? Uh, well, I don't do social media. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you guys do, you guys just want to hear me and my friends ramble, um, and also Miss Bliss here, um, you can check out uh, my podcast. Which is the Brews and Reviews podcast, at Idiot's Guide to Cinema, uh, where we sit down every two weeks and just talk about movies. We break them down, we make jokes, we get drunk, and uh, it's always generally a good time. So yeah, if you like films, come on over, bring your favorite brew. We've already had two. <laughs> <laughs> it genuinely is one of my favorite podcasts, and I'm not saying that just because I happen to have been on it, but... <laughs> um, can people find you on any of the social meds, though, Brews and Reviews? If you want to follow us on uh, the social medias, the platforms, um, you can find us at the Brewcast Crew on Twitter and the Brews and Reviews pod on Instagram. <laughs> uh, but until next time, thank you so much for joining me, Avery. No problems, no problems. Thank you for having me. And I will see y'all later. Bye! Hey! <laughs> Yay! We did it! We did it! We did it! <laughs> <laughs>